You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and we're very excited to have Anders Beck of Green Sky Bluegrass this episode and the next episode, and you're hearing them from the Tabernacle last fall. Most of the live music you hear in these next two episodes are from that show. Available on Nugs.net. Yes, and listen to Drew Emmett sitting in. And Seth, that's Drew Emmett sitting in with them, and you happened uh, you have some inside information as to why he was happened to be in avail- in Atlanta available to play on that night, don't you? Yeah, ba- basically uh, the story he told me that night was uh, they were supposed to play a gig, Leftover Salmon, in South Carolina, the festival, and the festival got canceled last minute. So all those musicians were down, not all the Green Sky guys, but Leftover, all they were there, maybe like five other bands, uh, shows canceled, and they were scrambling. So most everyone flew directly back, and Drew noticed uh, he could extend his flight out of Atlanta, so he said, oh, yeah, might as well sit in with the boys. Absolutely fantastic. Glad he did. Thank you, Drew, if you're listening. A little treat. It's also a treat to be a part of a growing community of podcasts. That's right, and that, that network is? Osiris. We are proud to be a member of the this uh, also culture podcast, a lot of variety of podcasts on the show. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about a very specific episode during the outro later. Um, that I enjoyed, and it's OsirisPod.com. It's a bunch of different podcasts, like-minded folks, you, you people who, who like long-form in- entertainment, you people who like things that challenge you, you people with an attention span, you people who are intellectually curious, this is your website, OsirisPod.com. Go, go on there and check out all kinds of different webcasts. Uh, podcasts. St- podcasts, excuse me. <laughs> We'll talk more about Osiris at the end of the episode. We'll do more than talk about him because... uh, We got big things coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, before that, though, I want to also give a quick mention to our sponsor. Yes, please. Robert Polet. It's actually Polet Clark Accounting Firm. Folks, do not wait until April and get fucked. Call them today. 
That's right. Don't get fucked in April. Get polayed. Or screwed, you could use, but whatever. Oh, would you prefer the screwed? Well, you invented it. I, I really, it's like telling Dylan what, how to sing a song. So, oh, know. man. Well, I'm going to tread, tread lightly. That's PoleClark.com. Do check them out. Great accounting firm, boutique accounting firm. Highly suggest them to you, as does uh, some of the best NBA players and some of the best rock and rollers out there, folks. Seth, I need your, I need your news ticker. Big news, folks. WTNS Live is back. That's right. WTNS Live, a night of music, philanthropy, and podcasting taking place at the City Winery guess who is going to be our next guest can you guess that's my beard that's my beard it was all over my counter now can you guess rob i think it might have something to do with the guy we're talking to in this episode maybe? that's right really uh-huh rob hey, turner's gonna be really? there now really? <laughs> anders beck we're flying him down march 28th atlanta georgia the city winery he's gonna be joined by a local legend who's a colorado legend that you actually what do you call him i dub him the the Colorado Colonel. Mm-hmm, that's right. Benny. Benny Galloway. He's, uh, you all know him from his work, uh, his lyrics. As a matter of fact, you guys probably know him more than you even realize that you don't know. He is the, uh, an amazing writer uh, out of Colorado and now living in, uh, in Marietta, Georgia. Yes. And he wrote uh, a bunch of Yonder tunes that you all love. And we're doing two episodes on Anders here, and, and we talk a bunch about Benny. Is it Benny? What's his other name? Burl. Burl. The Burl. The guy's got more names than I have dogs. But you also call him the Colonel of Colorado, or the Colorado Colonel. I like that one. That one? Yeah. But folks, I want to tell you all something about uh, this WTNS Live. Not only is it going to be this amazing music, tapping into uh, a really interesting fact that we're going to go into later, but it's it, we mentioned philanthropy, and it's also where it's our tie-in, because we got even more news. That's right. Osiris Network is going to be... Excuse me. The Osiris Network is going to be at the Sweetwater 420 Festival. Excellent. RJ. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we're going to get time and do an RJ episode, get a real sit-down, face-to-face interview the way I like. Quite possibly. It's all coming together now, but I will let you all know that, uh, that the Osiris Network, and, and we are going to WTNS, uh, because it's in our backyard, we're going to... We're going to um, host essentially the Osiris Network and and uh, we're going to be doing some live podcasts there and other podcast stuff and it's going to be tied into uh, some other things that I'm going to mention next week. So lots of news and the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because we are going to be giving away uh, for an auction for a charity uh, VIP tickets. We're going to auction off two VIP tickets to Sweetwater 420 Festival and at, the, at the WTNS Live and as well as two GA tickets are going to be uh, the prizes for one of our games plus a bunch of other stuff. So what else do you got to say, Rob? I love that you're racking your brain over which which game. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a game one of the World Series and a manager pitching the guy he's going to throw out on the mound to pitch the first game of the World Series. So what game are you thinking about, Seth? Ooh, I think I got it. Jeremy Ferd? No. What if I have what if I have uh Burl and Anders just picking the two of them and we have a couple of people from the audience and they have to buzz in, um they have to be on stage and they buzz in, is this a Burl song or is this a, another person's song? Or, you know, Something like that. I don't know. We'll think about it. Folks, if you have any suggestions, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com. We're on the heels of our 50th episode. Thank you all so much for listening to the 50th. And on Wednesday, which is when you're listening, so by the time you're listening to this, it will be Wednesday or after, we're going to be announcing the winner of our contest. So those of you who have um, went ahead and filled out the survey for the Innie Audis, thank you so much. We really appreciate all the positive feedback. And uh, a little tease, don't say who, but (laughs) not only did a friend of Seth's 
sit in with Dead and Company last night. Don't say who. But he also is the first non-drummer to sit in with that band, and it was fantastic. And I'll talk about that after after this interview with Anders Beck. You know, he's such an interesting guy that we don't even get into the Wayback Machine until part two. So, Oh, my God. The, he is a talker. He talks about Mike Gordon coming to one of his shows. He's a talker. We, we talk about improvisation throughout. We talk about how they honored Fish. They were they um, they played recently in a place called the Buckhead Theater here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which used to be called the Roxy, which is where Fish did these legendary shows in '93. And somewhat spontaneously, the Green Sky, when they played there, referenced that show very specifically, including Jeff Mosier sitting in with them. And we talk about that. We talk about the significance of the one up in Denver. Oh, we talk about how we compare and compress their approaches with string dusters on certain things. and uh, That subject, uh, well, let's talk about that a little bit in the outro, can we? Sure, absolutely. But in the meantime, this well, is from the... Without further ado, from, from the, the backstage of the Tabernacle. Same room where we interviewed Chris Mitchell, which is soon going to be dubbed the Inside Actually, Out. Actually, you keep saying that, but it was the room, well, it was one room over. Yes, it was. I know, because the couches, we sat on the couches with this one, the other one we didn't. We sat on the other kind of chairs and couches. Trust me. Well, how are we going to get a room named after if we keep doing a different room? All right, you know what? We just can't do it by the slammy door room. <laughs> the Franca, the Franca room. Uh, yeah. Hey, if you haven't listened to that one yet, we suggest you do. And I've got other suggestions, but later. For now. Here's... singing to me I'll come from you to tell me the things I couldn't see when my eyes have awoken to the things I've broken I'll be gone distracted by something else these hands can't hold the time better use them wisely while they still are mine hold on hope for the best hold on hope for the best sitting backstage here at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. Starting to feel like home back here. That's not a bad place to be home. We're in the same room we interviewed Chris Mitchell, and we're sitting here with the Dobroist resonator guitarist from one of, I think, maybe the fastest rising, most burgeoning bluegrass jam rock <laughs> bands happening. New, new grass as well. Anders Beck of Green Sky Bluegrass. Welcome. <sighs> Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me into your room. That you guys feel so at home at. Yes, we would like to turn this into the inside out. Well, hopefully you'll start feeling at home here because this is your first time at the Tabernacle, right? Yeah, the plan is to start feeling at home here. Uh, yeah, we've never, we've never been here. We've never played here. Um, and it's beautiful. And we've wanted to play here for a long time. It's one of those sort of like 
it's been one of the goals, you know. And each seems like in each big city, there's always that sort of elusive room that, if, you know, a couple of years ago we sort of figured, yeah, maybe if we're lucky, we might, you know, if, if everything goes right, we might get to, but we, you know, in some some augmented reality where everything goes really, really, really well. We might get to play the tabernacle. So kind of like back in the days when you're playing Smith Old Bar, you're like, oh, maybe one day we'll get the variety. Then you get to the variety and say, maybe the tabernacle. What's next, Fox? I don't know, man. <laughs> you guys devastated Smith Old Bar. I remember that show. That was fun. Mike Gordon came to a show there when we played there. He, that was fun. That was it was weird because I've been I. Mike Gordon weird in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember we were in the middle of a jam and I looked over. Because Fish was playing in town, we were doing like after party type of thing, um, and I looked over the door and I saw this silhouette of you know his his pretty pretty recognizable silhouette right with backlit with the door behind him, and I see him getting getting carded and paying. Um, That's the kind of guy he is. Paying for a ticket. Yeah, he'll do that. But it, but I I had this moment where I'm like, I thought about how many. What, do, do we curse on this thing? Sure, why not? Fuck not. Yes. Okay. I was like, thought about. I was like, thought about how many fucking fish tickets I have bought, <laughs> and then I saw him. <laughs> there he is buying a ticket to my show, and I'm like, yeah, that's right, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Payback's a bitch. You just <laughs> got. I got my twenty-two fifty back or whatever. You know, like. <laughs> did you chat? Did he chat with you guys? And that was just a service fee. Um. Yeah, we talked to him for a little bit. He he um. I've bumped, I've met him a couple of times, bumped into him in different situations, and he really likes tra- traditional bluegrass, which is funny because he is always like, "Yeah, do you guys play any like? Do you guys play any like the tra- old traditional stuff?" And <laughs> he's working on a building it, count. Yeah, I mean we do, but it's funny because he's in the biggest jam band in the world, and <laughs> and and for us, like, what I enjoy about our music is that. We improvise and jam, right? Sure. And so when I, you'd think when I'm talking to Mike Gordon about music, right. our music, it would be like, let's talk about the weird stuff, right? And you wouldn't instead, think a member right, of Fish would be a bluegrass player. Right, right. So, yeah, it's like, it's like you're the bluegrass Nazi that I'm talking to <laughs> at this point. Like, come on, man. We'll have to ask Mosher what he, uh, when he taught him what he taught him. Well, while we have Fish on the table and previous Atlanta plays on the table, <clears throat> I don't know how many Fish fans know that well, I'm sure Fish fans know about the Roxy shows in 1993. And if they don't... Legendary shows. Jeff Mosier sat in, and they did a, a particularly unique Kung chant. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, now yeah, fast yeah. forward 20-something years. You guys play what is the Buckhead Theater, which is um, a slightly more corporate but slightly better-sounding version of the Roxy I at the same spot. I would not say better-sounding version. It's not oh, the, the room Roxy. sounds good at all. Uh, I mean, okay, I that know. one spot that you belly up to, maybe it sounds good, but most That's of That's because you're is... standing next to my disgustingness. No, it's... It's the same building as the Roxy. Basically, yes. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's the point. <laughs> yeah. Now, Anders, tell us what you did that night. First, starting with Jeff Mosier. Uh, oh, yeah, so we called... So we, were, inv- so we were excited about that place that was once the Roxy because it's a couple of people in the band's favorite fish shows, like that era of that that particular... Those particular shows, or that show and the Bomb Factory from that oh, era. Yeah, like, yeah, 93, yeah, 93 Fish is important to us. Um, and although I think Bomb Factory is ninety four, but well, yeah, yeah, it could be. This, I thought Roxy was ninety four. No, Roxy's ninety three. All right, ninety three, ninety four. They I'm did. the casual fish fan here. What's going on? <laughs> Go on, Anders. Anyway, uh, so so 
we called Jeff Mosier because he was the guest at that fish show. And we, and we decided we what would be good to, would be to have him play the same song that he played that he said it was fish <laughs> for at our one at our favorite show. I love so it. we played Paul and Silas with him. feeling the Roxy we're feeling the Roxy 93 vibe and just we started kind of teasing as many of the songs that we could from that show that they played there just um, none of it was planned all of it off the cuff even the Kung thing I don't remember I don't remember the Kung thing but um, no it was it was not really planned I mean, we were we were just sort of fucking around with it all day you know like just because that was a big tweet. That was a, one of those huge tweezer jams, I think, where they'd sandwiched everything in and out of tweezer. And then, right. So we started messing with that lick, and then it just it probably got a little bit out of hand, I suspect. Um, but it was just all in good fun, you know? Like, gotta do, gotta do stuff like that. <laughs> We're on tour every day to, you know, like, this room, this, something happened in this particular room, so... Let's acknowledge it and do, you know. You don't want to know what happened in this particular room or on that couch you're sitting on. <laughs> oh, we'll God. get there. Go ahead, Well, let's get in. Well, well no, before, if you're sure. going to leave Fish, then here I did have one question. So your manager uh, happens to work uh, with the organization that's on the road with the Fish all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. I notice I see you at a lot of Fish shows. Do you guys coordinate your schedule so that you can be at these shows? No. Or is that just... Uh, when we get lucky, we go, like, it's, it's, no, I, I, no, we don't. It's just when we're off and Fish is playing, I'll go see them pretty much. I don't, I don't really go see, I don't, like, I don't go see Fish as much as I used, I don't seek so out going, going to see, Fish yeah. as much <laughs> as I used to. Um, but if they're, if they're around and I'm around, I'm absolutely going, but it's, I'm not really flying across the country or going on fish tour anymore um do you think if you kept playing guitar which we'll get around to that mm-hmm. originally guitars before you start playing dobro would you be more in the mindset of not wanting to hear a fish and not be too influenced by trey but that since you play a different instrument that if a little train inf- influence on a dobro is not necessarily a bad Just thing a little trey 
Do you follow what I'm saying? You don't feel the need to kill mommy. You more likely the mommy you might have to kill would maybe be Jerry Douglas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I feel that way. I mean, I think in some in some respects, you know, on, on a grander scale of things, like being a that we play bluegrass instruments and are a rock band or a jam band or whatever the hell we're supposed to call it. Um, Organic band. Yeah. <laughs> Being that that's the case, since we play these other instruments, we can like fall. We're like outside of this. Um, we're like outside of this circle where it would be. It seems like it would be so hard to be like a four-piece traditional band, like rock band, like keyboards, drums, bass, and guitar, and then try and do something new. Try and do so. Yeah, try and make it you know and at first like the bluegrass thing was like really kind of it was our it was our our curse to bear it was our the weight we had to carry was like no we're it's bluegrass but it's cool we swear it's actually you know but (laughs) but in hindsight like we spent all this time trying to justify it and then i think in in a lot of ways because we're the instruments are so different and then we're then we're playing kind of improvisational music on them it really separates us uh, you, you see what i'm saying it's like the, the mm, thing that yeah the thing that separ- that separated us that was we thought was bad is good you know it's, it's becoming it's your hallmark yeah it's, it's hard to put into words because right? i i think about it sometimes and i just haven't really figured out how to wrap my brain around it exactly well if we could delve before we go back delve into your since you mentioned improvisation too because i watched a bunch of your shows and there are definitely songs that sometimes open up and other times don't right mm-hmm. is that decided at times on the fly on stage using the talkback or using nonverbal communication and I'll give you an example if you want mm-hmm, sure uh, when you're at Bonnaroo and you're doing worried about the weather mm-hmm. and there's a point just before Paul takes it off toward time mm-hmm. you follow what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and there's a point where you kind of look up at him mm-hmm. and he gives you a nod and then you you take it off in your own way now is that I'm taking the solo or is that we're cracking this open here did you know where you were going at that point, or is that totally? Were you totally in the moment? It's pretty much on the fly. Um, you know, like a song like that, it could be, could be five minutes, and it could be fifteen minutes, and and you're deciding in the moment. Yeah, and sometimes you know, we I think more often now it's it's going it's becoming sort of a jam vehicle um, where it tends towards the fifteen minute or however long it is. Um, but sometimes, you know, on a good night, you get, we get into that, that like jam part and, and it's like this group thing where we're all playing and it's like, um, we're, nobody's really interested in getting back to that song very quickly. Right. You know, like, uh, or what about on to the next song? Like, do you know on the set list where the jams are going to go or do you sometimes bail on the set list? Both. Um, you know, we've started. We start. We've tried. We were trying to get better about actually writing set lists. Um, a because um, they're helpful to Lincoln, our light guy. I mean, our lighting designer. A light dude. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know. He used to be a fat dude. Now he's just a light dude. <laughs> That'd be heavy, not fat. Yeah, good point. <laughs> anyway, Thanks, guys, have a good day. <laughs> I need you around all the time. Honestly. Um, but so he setlists are really helpful to him. But now he's on ears too, so we can we can talk to him in the talkback if we are going to change things. But 
Um, and also, as we're getting more fans that are like traveling to lots of shows and going on tour and stuff, which is crazy. Thank you, people that are doing that. There's someone in my house right now that's uh, flown in from Colorado. Really? Cool. Um, so now, as people are coming to more shows, we really have to like mix it up. Make sure that the repeats aren't, you know, like we've always been conscious of it, but like now it's getting serious. You know? Are you like, conscious of coming back into a venue, uh, coming back into a you know Atlanta and saying, okay, what did we do last time? And yeah, we try and look. So basically, it's kind of like what did we play last time we were in that town, and then what did we do? the last two nights and then <laughs> that's all the stuff you're not allowed to play basically uh-huh. you know and so but you can back yourself into a corner pretty easily because if you're looking if you're in Asheville right and you're not and you're not you're like okay let's just play whatever you know let's play whatever we want and you're, but you're not looking ahead to <laughs> Atlanta and what you did there last year like it's it can get weird I mean it's we spend a lot of time Dealing with set list bullshit. Although one thing, mixing it up, is sometimes playing the same song two nights in a row. And I think, particularly if it's a new original, that's certainly permissible. Yeah, yeah we've we've uh, we've been doing we've been dealing with that. We're like like uh, the album we just released came out about a year ago, so we we still we we're, we're still like allowing ourselves the technicality of like oh it's a new song. <laughs> we you know it's like we're playing playing the new songs, but now we're getting that excuse isn't working anymore, so we have to get get back to set listing really hard but you know in the in the um in the summertime you know festivals and stuff we we tend to play like a little you know like a fest <laughs> I'm a music a fan too a festival set right <laughs> it's like and then sorry my phone is buzzing I'm going to turn it off <laughs> stop texting me how democratic is the decision process? Is all the members of the band involved, or is it mostly just you and Paul? Or where is it? Uh, Paul, lines? Dave, and I are the setlist people. But on stage, it seems as though Paul is clearly the point man. Yes. Yeah, he's he just he's fascinated with his beard. <laughs> Get in line, man. <laughs> uh, Does it have its own boss? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, Ryder has his uh, own groomer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, don't, I don't see a lot of grooming going on, but uh, <laughs> well, okay, you know he does he does the polycures, you know, pedicures, but he's, he's the toe painter one. You don't paint your toes anymore, do you? Uh, you say follicurist? Polycures. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. You know, just just for strings and soul. Just for strings and soul. <laughs> um, but so Paul, Dave, and I have a set list. It's a text thread. It's called the One Up Thread. I don't even know why it's still called the One Up Thread. Oh, because we went to this, um, there's a bar, there's a bar in Denver called the One Up, and um, why is it called the One Up Thread? Oh, yeah. So it's called the One Up Text Thread because there's a bar in Denver that we used to all go to as the three of us, and uh, that's the whole story, but that's our text, that's our text thread for set listing. Can you post that on... Like Twitter or something. What? We'd love to see a link of that. Of the th- of the th- yeah the thread. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, God. <laughs> might be you know for liner notes it might not be a bad idea if you ever release a show. Yeah. Release the text thread that led up to it. Yeah. On liner notes. It's funny because like, you know we. Sometimes I wish 
that it would just be like, it'd be like, okay, it's your night to write a set list. And then we've talked about it where it's like, okay, it's your night to write the set list and no one can edit it. You know? And, but that it, it would just get weird, you know? Instead, know. like, I'll write, I'll write a set list and then Paul or Dave ruin it. You know, and then the next night Dave Wright starts, and then we ruin his. You know, it's like, but democratically we turn it into a good show that that works. Well, you have to have multiple voices. That works in reality. Maybe, you know? but the flip coin of that is in this type of music, you always want to create levels of interest. Yeah. And Humphreys McGee, who you've toured with, one of the levels of interest with them is the fans guessing who wrote that night's set list. So if over the course of time you have it separate, where different ones, that becomes another thing about the band that becomes part of the enthusiasm about the band. Right. But yeah. it, like you say, it would have to be clearly ones. It can't be a bastardized version of it. It would have to right, be an honor set list. But the, yeah, the thing is though that it's like four tweezer reprises. <laughs> the, the thing is, we need. Yeah, we need we need everyone to have their hands in it to make it work, and you know, maybe over the course of time, maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe on your birthday you get to write this set list or something. But uh, you know, it's 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 weird having to put. It's interesting having to put that much thought into it like some days we're just like dreading it you know <laughs> like or, or we're doing like a four night run somewhere and that's like pretty much you, you get you get most all of the songs you know, over the course of four nights um but then you gotta you gotta make it cool and unique and um it's really fun sometimes but it's also that like that's the <laughs> that's the most stressful part of my day which means my day is fucking awesome <laughs> so what you're saying to me though I get it now so when you do these four night runs I notice that after you do a four night run you have a new album come out so that must mean because you're going to play that market again you need new material <laughs> yeah quickly write a new album well let, let, let me follow up on that infamous string dusters talked about the difference between road testing material and holding your material and they have found, on the couple of albums where they've held the material, they have found the way it enlivens their live show to, to wait till the album comes out and then hit the fans with all these songs really um, infuses their show. The trade-off is to let the songs be road tested and maybe they grow into something more organically before you record them. Where do you guys stand on all that? Um, kind of in the middle, I suppose. We, this last album, we tried to not play the songs live. And I don't know. I don't. I think there's just the reason being like you're supposed to do it or that just way. to try something or, or just something, to you know, like, try something different. Yeah, and and also, you know, I mean, it's just it's like the quote unquote right thing to do, right? You know, you want you want a new album. You want everything to be new and fresh for the people that like your music. Um, new art. Yeah, and so like it. It just kind of seems like the right thing to do. Um, but I like the idea of getting a little more comfortable in the songs, like, and we sort of, this last album we did, it was like, we were, we were like, we would play all the songs at soundcheck, you know, and that's the way we were, we were sort of getting our, wrapping our brains around them. Um, but then not play them when the crowd was there. Um, but you know, we're, I think that one of the cool dichotomies of our band is like the that we put on a live really supposedly really from what I hear a pretty good live show a really you know a good live we're a good live band mm-hmm. we're and then we also and that's like this jammy improvisational thing you know and it fucking rocks in my opinion yes um 
when done well. Yeah, exactly. Occasionally done well, yes. <laughs> um, but then we're also really good at making albums. And, and those are like these, it's like concise kind of, um, it's, it's, a, it's an art form. Like, and I think a lot of bands, especially in like the jam world, um, you're, struggle you're, with that. You're either say. like you're either good at you're good you're a good album band or you're a good jam band. You don't get to be a jam band and then you know make good albums. And I, I think we're we're pretty we kind of we're lucky to be able to do both. It's like a, there's like a duality to it, and and we sort of we sort of accept them as two different things. And I think that's why it has worked. You know, um, and, it, and there's also really great songwriters. <laughs> In my band, which Absolutely. is helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> is really helpful to the overall making albums thing. Um, well, great songwriters who are open to the to their songs being uh, toyed with and, and unfolding. It's my understanding. Paul brings them in on guitar, but he's not really a guitarist, so he has to kind of show them to you guys. And then just the process of him doing that opens itself up to uh, pulling in from, uh, ideas from you guys. Is that correct? Yeah, that's totally correct. It's it's awesome because he brings them. He, you know, he'll bring a song in, and it's like, it's like a guitar-y, singer-songwriter, strummy thing. Because I mean, he's good at guitar, you know, but he's not a great guitarist. It's not like, um, so he, he uses it as a writing tool. You know what I'm saying? And so he brings it to us and plays it on guitar, and then, in order to show it to us, and then, once that has happened, then Dave learns it, right? Yeah. Then Dave, then Dave takes a guitar, right? Your guitar, and then Paul. Some, so sometimes when we're playing a song for the first time together, it's like the first time Paul has played it on mandolin also. You know, so it's like we're all, it's his song, but we're all playing it for the first time together. You know, you know what I'm saying? Which is fucking cool. Because yeah. <laughs> he's, even though it's his song, he's now like learning it with us. Um, and then we, you know, either we learn it. Uh, we We all kind of tweak it. I think that, We'll take that, and then we're all playing it together on these new on our, the right instruments as a band. And then we sort of turn it into like Green Sky song. <laughs> Has there From, ever been a song that you guys trashed and said, "Okay, no, this is not going to work"? Can't well, trash, just like, dismissed. Yeah, dismissed. Better way to say it. And then, like you know, two years later, be, be like, "Hey, remember that thing we put a, a no to? Let's bring it back and um, try it again." And that it turned into your biggest hit. That's a good question. You know, wow. I just I'm remembering this now, and I haven't thought about this uh in control one of paul's songs we tried wow shit i forgot this is exciting thanks for asking that question because now i'm learning about the life of this song uh we tried to play it we tried to make it this like uh, what's the best way to describe it? we tried to make it this like downbeat type thing like um and and it just didn't work. It wasn't happening. The song well, wasn't yeah. letting you go there. Yeah, it wasn't. And but we wanted it to be the certain thing. Um, and so what do you do at that point? We, I mean, what we did do. This is a, this is a while ago. We abandoned it and just like said, okay, we're not good at that. We weren't good at the texture of this of that. We weren't able to play the texture that we were trying to make it at that time. So it gets set aside. Yeah, and we all just pretended it never happened, right? I think, you know, like, <laughs> but we were in, like, a studio in Northern... We were, like, trying... We had, a, like, a rehearsal day in Northern California, and we're trying to get this thing of song to work, and 
it was like it was interesting because we couldn't do it we, we couldn't make it work and then we just abandoned it and i think really pretended it never happened because it showed us showed us our flaw as, as musicians right like oh that day never happened let's go back on tour and then like maybe a year later maybe more longer i'm not sure how long we so we tried again and it just sort of worked as the song that it is now um and i don't think it's that different from them from what we were trying to do um but something needed to change that happened to change yeah, naturally something yeah something changed and i think maybe we got better as musicians um we also accepted like uh we accepted we i think one of the things we're trying to do with that particular song this is interesting cuz i'm i'm really trying to dig it up from my big dumb brain um which has got a lot of cobwebs and things in there and fish setless <laughs> yeah exactly i'm like uh, I had memories of uh, hanging late with Josh Timmermans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great reference for the listeners, Seth. Thank you. <laughs> on, on behalf of the listeners, thank you for that reference. And if you know what that reference was in reference to, email us <laughs> inside out at wtns at gmail.com and win a signed poster of Anders. Yes. In a gorilla suit. Um, and so this... Oh, what I was saying was that We've sort of ex- we've learned to accept that we can. Back then, we were trying to be. We we're trying to figure out how to make a song not bluegrassy, because we like we we're trying to figure out how to make our music cooler. <laughs> and cooler is not bluegrassy, which is a weird thing to say. But um, well, we're, cooler we're, be new grass. Right, we're, we're trying to we were trying we're to trying to force something that should have been happening. We're, we're trying to figure out new. Yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out different textures to play with our instruments, right. and we weren't quite there. Um, and then when I think when the song came back around, we we're like, well, let's just play it like we like it should be. Like let's play it as a pretty kind of bluegrass. Like sometimes you have to accept the fact that there's a banjo in the band. You know, <laughs> even when you, it's it's weird. Well, what about a song like "Living Over"? Mm-hmm. When that comes in, is that immediately apparent that it's going to be a jam vehicle and that it's it, it's powerful enough? It could close sets even at festivals for you. Is that something you? notice right away from the song or is that something that happens not till you're on the road or in the process of it evolving in the studio to talk about that song because <coughs> that cooks yeah and that's and you shine on that particularly it might be your standout track as far as on a personal level on the on the uh shouted written down and, qu- and quoted cd would you agree yeah totally that solo is fucking badass yeah <laughs> was that expected or was that like let's just try this um no, we knew something was going to happen there. The idea was to make that that song be a vehicle, and um, you know, there's that really chill, chill melodic part where Paul plays, and then it builds into this thing where that dobro solo awesome. was going to take off. And I was like, and I I just started I was starting to use like that distortion amp tone, and like, um, I was I was using that live, and we haven't success we hadn't like really successfully got it on an album yet um and so we were messing with that sound in the studio of how to get that like shreddy soaring tone like rock and roll sustained guitar you know like that kind of thing and um and so i'm in this i'm in this one main room and there's like an amp with the door with the door. What studio was this? This is um, 
It's in Asheville, North Carolina. It's called... Um, oh, I got it here. Echo Mountain. Echo Mountain. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks. I knew it was something mountain. <laughs> Nashville? Jeez. Because yeah. the other one's Mountain House. But yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, where, that's what... Yeah, that's why and I was... Nederland? Is it Nederland or Nederland? Nederland. It's Ned, like Ned's... Like Ned. Ned Fest, right? Yeah. Well, we yeah. should yeah. go Nederland. back to that in a minute, but let's finish um, this. And so, like, we're trying to get this tone right. We we're, we're just going back and, and redoing, like, the that dobro solo at the end of living over because we knew we wanted it to just be this huge thing and um and it's weird because when you when you make it when you like leave space for a jam on a on a studio track it's shitty it's a <laughs> shitty idea because you have to go but yeah okay yeah, because you're like you're counting backwards seriously it was like really hard we've done it a couple times and it's, you kind of have to do it because if you just if you don't nail if you don't nail the jam as like the lead soloist that first time, but everything else is perfect. And might I add, Steve Berlin's the producer, mm-hmm. and oh, I'm a yeah, long, we gotta, yeah. and he's a former guest, a long time Los Lobos fan, and they jam live, but they don't really even Masi Moss doesn't have much jamming in the studio. So you have a producer who's in a band who doesn't really the long jams in the studio did you have to win him over and all to to do this or um i think he got it he knew he knew what we were talking about and recognized like that you know once especially once he heard the amp the the tone of that i was going for he was like yep i i know like let's make this this climactic moment um he was into it um how much influence does he in the studio um you know, he he was he really liked our ideas a lot, you know, which which is cool. Like I think that when we sent him when we sent him this the songs, we sent him these really rough versions that we just like literally we learned the songs and five minutes we were like, we were playing them and then five minutes later recorded them and and that's what we sent him is saying these are the songs that we're probably gonna put on the album to check out. And I think that he maybe thought we like he thought that that we that was as good as we were like that's that was the songs <laughs> right and, he, and like so so surprise so, yeah and so but then but then three months later we put a lot more work into those songs yeah. and so when when we so then and I think we, we I think we like forgot to send him updated versions right or something <laughs> and so um, he so then when we all got together at the studio. We played him some. St- we played him where we where we had turned the, where we got the songs to, and he's like, "We're good," you know. Like, <laughs> did he give any arrangement suggestions? Yeah, like? absolutely. He and he was really helpful. But it was. It's, <laughs> I, but he I was think, like surprised. Think, he visibly surprised. You're saying? I, I think yeah. When I when I think back on it, like that's kind of what happened, and I didn't realize it until after the fact. I was like, "Oh, you maybe thought we fucking sucked," <laughs> you know? Like you thought that the the the, the songs were like these little like little ditties and then we put a lot of more effort into them and then yeah like i said he, when when we got together he was he was like yeah you guys he's like you know a lot of songs were done you know he was like yeah let's go record that right now it's fucking perfect and now in choosing steve berlin what was the th- uh, process did you listen to a lot of the different albums he produced which is kind of all over the spectrum in terms of style of music or were you looking for something in particular with him um yeah, once you choose him also, do you point to certain records and say, I like this sound on this record, can we kind of go for that? Um, we, we had talked to um, Chris Jacobs, uh, who, who's 
of Chris Jacobs' band now. He used to be in The Bridge. And he they did an album. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did an album with Steve. The Bridge did their last album. He said, "Did they really? I didn't yeah. recognize that." And he's yeah. the one that really told us that Steve was great in the studio, and that we should work with him. And um, so he connected the bridge. He bridged that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> he was the bridge. Just for the listeners, the bridge was a big band in Maryland about ten years ago. A really big band for all good music festival. Mike Gordon sent him with him at Mount Auburn mm-hmm. Music Festival. Yeah. They were, the, the Bridge was a band that was incredible. They were just they were, they were a really tight good. and good band, but Horns. they just never had what the Bridge didn't have is what you guys were very are, are very successful in being a band that puts out quality music. But you guys grow and kept growing, and I don't know what the magic is there, but they they had the potential musically, but something was missing, and you know, just in that comparison, being able to go from Smiths to the Tabernacle in what three years? Yeah, it's and the thing is. Like Maybe more. we're lucky, like it's not lost on me that we're lucky as hell to like whatever it is that happened happened. Like there's a lot of really, really, really good bands out there. Like you know, what do you, what do you think? Like one percent of bands make it? Yeah, something like, like oh wait no, cause we had a statistic. Who did someone give us a statistic? Yeah, it was really low, and it's yeah. good to maintain that humility. But you guys have worked hard. You yeah. mix up the repertoire. You are getting good about keeping the covers in light rotation, which I think is a huge thing. Keep your originals in heavy and your covers in light. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you really mix stuff up. I've poured through your last couple, three years, and I see how people can see you over and over. I could see why people traveled. It's not surprising to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it, too. You've earned <laughs> but, it. But, I'm all, but, but you, you respect know, a lot. That's, but, that's but healthy. You think, but you think of a band like... A band like the bridge, or or like there's tons of bands that are sure. we're killers. The slip. and yeah, and and it's just like it just doesn't quite work out. Whether it's like someone has a baby, or like you any, know any of those anything you know someone else, somebody has a also, yoko. The style of the style of music that you guys are playing, this new grass, bluegrass. It's um you know you look at what's happening out there with like and again I, I bring this up, Rob. When you see success like Mumford and uh, Mumford and Sons and other bands like that, they in a way their success is opening up the door to exposing you to in this audience. Yeah, and know? I think the, the original thing was you pointed out the Steve Martin thing with all, yeah. with um yeah it's gonna get there but no. oh I'm sorry. no 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 I chose <laughs> I chose to go Mumford instead of Steve I was going to my head back and forth because no, that was, was when we started this podcast Seth brought that up and that really occurred to me. It, hadn't occurred to me until then that that's like an old brother where aren't thou moment steve martin doing that tour has it has infused the scene would you not agree i'm not sure i i suppose so i think i mean i would think that the old brother thing and mumford is probably bigger okay in, in my mind as like the bigger things that made people think banjos are cool and maybe like <laughs> what's with you Gra- banjos bluegrass isn't <laughs> it's think about, i i yeah, think about I Steve Martin. He's pulling people who aren't even necessarily concert people. You know, he's pulling yeah. people from his comedy movie career into bluegrass. Yeah, and incorporating some of his comedy into their shows to kind and of keep the them engaged. That's the one percent that we were talking about. That's the real, the real one percent. The comedy bluegrass crossover. <laughs> that's why. I'm, that's why all my jokes go over so well on stage. You know, it's because the Steve Martin. Was a bluegrass comedian, and that's what the fan. There you <laughs> I go. I don't know where this is going. Oh, well, let's keep going. <laughs> that's how you get places. <laughs> that's how you get away with saying hi to your mom in the middle of a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, why two studios? Why Echo Mountain and Mountain House Recording Studio? Um, because they're high in the mountain, and they like to get high. <laughs> nope, not, not the reason. He's a clean uh, man. 
Yeah. This isn't this isn't like those stoners oh, in Yonder Mountain. They moved from they moved from uh, uh, Michigan to Colorado because Michigan, although pot got legal, it just wasn't you know quality enough. <laughs> and that why you moved? No. Oh, okay, I was wrong. You again. know, here's a good story. Uh, one time we were in the green room of the of the Fillmore the first or in the Fillmore of San Francisco, and uh, it's just a really small green room, and uh, we were. Some maybe the, let's just say some, some of us were smoking a bunch of weed, and some of the other guys in the band. Yeah, the other guys, not me. <laughs> and the production, the production manager of the place comes in and goes, "In the last month, we've had Snoop Dogg and Willie Nelson here, and you guys smoke way more weed than them." Spike, and Gronk, he, Spike. He meant it as an insult. He meant it to be like, oh, "Chill really? out." He meant it to be like, "Dude, chill." Like it was that it was that bad apparently. Wow. And he was like he, he was he meant it as an insult and whoever was in that room, not me of course, took it as like Woo! Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have spiked you spiked the bomb, yeah. baby. <laughs> so choosing uh, the mountain studios? Yeah. Um Yeah, and it was your largest block of recording time ever, right? Yeah. Why does that what what we, talk, walk us through all that? Well we did we just we we did the we did the we did most of it in Asheville at that first at uh, Echo Mountain, and just wasn't done yet. So then we booked the other. We were like tour was wrap, tour was wrapping up in Colorado, so we just booked a studio okay. there that that um, everybody could get to because um, we weren't done yet. <laughs> Basically, was the deal. I like and I like I like recording in kind of two separate times, doing most of it and then being able to go back and like add you know digest it a little bit and then go back and be like this is just one thing that would make this song a little better one you know, adornment yeah you know? totally but like or or to be like okay the man you know there's this part at the end of the mandolin solo that's like he plays this really cool melody and then once i've heard it 20 times i can go back and play it with him or play a harmony to it or something you know like the idea is to do stuff like that if you if you let it sit for a while you can do that um, Aren't you concerned though that the sound, because the rooms are so different, the studios are different, that there might be a different sound yeah. to it? No, that's up to the mixer. Yeah, that. I mean, Not as if, if both rooms sound good, it's mm-hmm. fine, you know. But we definitely, we definitely had. We've, we, I guess, yeah, we have had, had that trouble a little bit where it's like, okay, the tone, dobro tone doesn't match, and it's sort of like, I mean, that's just like you know, kind of that's some serious geekery if. You know, if you're gonna notice, if anyone's gonna notice that those tones don't match, it's like me, me, the engineer, the producer, and Deftone Records. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the Dobro, Rob. What do you say? Oh no, I I want to finish my story oh. about, about the end of the Living Over solo. A couple more things, and we'll go on the way back. Um, so that that solo at the end of Living Over with that amp, with that shreddy amp tone. Oh yeah. Where where I was trying to fit the fit it into the jam, you know, into the space that was left for this jam, and you're right. counting down backwards <laughs> to get to the end of the thing, you know? And and you need it to peak, like, at the end. That's the idea of that solo. So you have to craft it almost backwards, just yeah, like you're saying? And, yeah. yeah, and it's like... And and I finally get this... I get to this point where we get the tone that, I'm, that we're looking for, and, like, I've got... I've got the dobro set up where I can... Where I'm standing in the... In this big room, and there's an amp with the door halfway open, 
and this other room like turned up to 11 facing the other way but I can if I move my dobro if I turn like half an inch to the left it's like feeding back in this like glorious way of like and so but I'm trying I want to use that in the solo so I'm like riding this I'm standing there riding this sustained feedback thing and and like this the one time the one the take we kept like I was I remember I hit the note and I'm I, I like we're I was getting to the peak of it and like we'd probably gone through it a bunch of times already and it was like I kept fucking it up because of the, the counting the getting to the end time getting the peak at the right place and stuff like that and like I, I hit this note and like just turned the right way and the the, the whole thing was just like shaking and this and this one note sustaining like ooh and it was at the right time and it was like a couple times I gotten close and the, the the feedback would take over and it'd go like into this really bad feedback or whatever. But you had control over it. Yeah, and I was like the way I moved nice. and like hit it and it like and literally I was like, Don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up. <laughs> you know, because I knew it was like it was good, right? It was really good. I'm like, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up. I'm like and then got to it and then like it worked and I ended that solo and like turned around and looked back at the control room and everyone's just like arms in the air like yes you you know it's like you did it it's like I was like on a fucking football team or something triumphant moment and, and polar opposite to triumphant live moments sort of right yeah <laughs> yeah right because it was it's but it was like it was going for that thing that will occur live and hadn't occurred live yet you know but now that you got it down you got it down yeah i mean so yeah and, and also i don't have to count backwards you know um, <laughs> which is difficult yeah when you're high up in the mountains <laughs> studios yes can, can we talk about one of your effects Sure. It's the Garcia-ish one, the Shakedown-y Stranger one. Mm-hmm. You actually, one of my favorite things is when he teases Bathtub Gin with that, because it sounds like Jerry playing Bathtub Gin, which is always something I wondered about in my <laughs> mind. That's one fish song I would have loved to have heard Garcia play on. What is that filter? Uh, it's a envelope. It's called an envelope filter. Em- it's by, okay. um, it's by um, the one I use is called the Trutron 
three. It's, it's made by uh, Mike Beagle, who's the guy who invented the original envelope filter um, for um, for Mutron or, or whatever that was. And then he like lost his patent or sold his patent, and then everyone started making them, right? Or something. I don't know the exact. But you have one of the original ones. No, he started making them again recently. Okay, I and, see. Yeah, and. Because like we have can, a friend who he has like a whole got his, he like got his patent back or so. There's like some really cool story that I don't, I don't know. Because um, we have a friend who has a whole story about how a friend of a friend of ours got that to Trey before fairly well. So for, for Trey, even though he didn't use it much, he did have it at, at his disposal. Right, the, and has it on stage with Fish now, right? Yeah, the original Mutron. The, yeah. yeah, like the those things are those things are cool. They're big. They're really big, which doesn't work Travel. that well. well yeah, well, now we, that you're we, in that big fly, bus, you know. Well, we fly. We fly a lot in the summer, oh, yeah. and so we're <clears throat> flying pedal boards and stuff. And you not get that on the back line, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> rider. Um, yeah, we just moved to a box truck too. No more trailer. Hmm. It's a big. Do you have like, a? Has your crew expanded? Do you have additional help, or? Um, is you have the lighting designer? Yes. You have your audio engineer. Yes. You've got your. Do you have a monitor? Yes. You really monitor. You've your own monitor guy. Yeah, I'm we sorry, have for engineer. a while. Yes, yes right. Uh, <laughs> Do your sound people ever complain about you be, being too dynamic? I mean, there's such a difference between you playing at your quietest and your loudest. No. I would think, as great as it is for us in the audience, I would think for a sound man... Well, be, I wasn't done done with the crew there, Rob. Oh, I'm sorry. So do you have anyone helping with the installation of lights other than local... No. Lincoln wants somebody. You don't have, like, merch doubling? No. You have your own merch person? We've got we, uh, Chef Rody's on the road with us. He sells merch. Chef? Chef. Chef Rody. He sells merch for us. And cooks that, dinner? No. He's too busy. But he's a chef. But we make him do other stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> and then, yeah, then Guido's our tour manager. So there's, what? Five? Eleven of us. So oh, yeah. I don't know. Twelve. All right, Rob. What were you saying? 11. Sorry about that. I just wanted to get the count correctly. Any thoughts on that on sound? Uh... I mean, it, no, those a, guys are badasses. They don't. They they like the dynamic nature of it, and I think that they they play that with us pretty well. You know, they're they're great. I mean, our, I would I would probably point out that um, our sound engineers have been a big part of our success to getting where to getting where we got to, because it's not easy to make bluegrass instruments acoustic instruments this loud right especially when you have to worry about them also playing quietly and yeah. be mixed all yeah that's and a so, real skill yeah and so to be a rock band with these instruments is really hard like um and jake wargo was our first was the first engineer that really kind of got it for us and like you know underst he understood that it once you know Let's say Umphreys was playing the same venue the night before. You can't go in there and sound like quiet. You know, you you, you want to be on that level, right? If you're gonna be if you're gonna be playing in big theaters and or you know or shitty bars or whatever, you know. Well, like, you're saying the festivals. I mean, you're yeah. you're a bluegrass band that's getting you know nine o'clock play slots. You know, you're not you're not the afternoon band anymore. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, so Jake was one of the first persons to really harness that for us, and, and Greg Burns, who now works for us and has for a long time, who mixes the band, like gets it. You know, he. It's, 
big you know it sounds big and that's a, that was a large I believe that that's a really large part of our success you know because you can even if you don't like bluegrass you can come to our show and be like this is fucking rocks and this was happening in the small venues too yeah. this wasn't like oh yeah. we're now playing no you know, it's, it's, it's been you know? it's been that way for it's been the goal for a while <clears throat> and it's been that way even in small bar even like say smith's you know it's like it's pumping in there it's a dance party um greg wants burns he wants uh he wants clipped bass nectar subs at a festival they had bass nectar subs set up because he was playing oh. late night <laughs> Was that probably like Force or something? And the, and the end here, the, the story. He comes back after the show. We had like flown in, and he comes back with this shit eating grin after the show. And I'm like, "What do you do? What? Do you, why are you so happy?" And he goes, "They told me I had to turn down." <laughs> you know, it's like, and it was like, "Why?" He's like, "Yeah." I, clip, I think I, he's like a clip based next to subs and the the engineer the, the house engineer was like mad at me and I was like oh I love you buddy <laughs> you know it's like that's yeah and then it's like and you know yeah bluegrass motherfucker <laughs> bluegrass <laughs> bluegrass in the 21st century yeah. alright a couple more things Seth and then we'll get in the way back I promise hearing listening to bluegrass mm-hmm. go on well, uh, well back to the improv real quick what, there's one thing to improv and there's nothing teasing songs so I just want to get in the mind of that a little bit. Like one mm-hmm. of my favorite is when you drop Let It Grow in the Middle of Kerosene. Very deft, very mm-hmm. nice. But is there thinking behind that that, wow, everybody will jump on, maybe we'll go into jam and all this, or wow, maybe this will derail, I don't want them to jump on. Is, is there a thought process that goes on, or is it totally just <laughs> drop, the, drop the reference and go with it? It's, it's both. I mean, I'm just usually, for me, I do, I'm just fucking around, really. You know, and I'm like, I get this idea in my head, and like, I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like this. Maybe I'll play that. You know, and like, and you know, sometimes the band will be like, "That's cool." <laughs> sometimes it'll be like, you know, you can just I can just hear, you know, they don't have to say it or even look at me. I can just hear them in their heads being like, "Shut the hell up, dude!" Like, that's a dumb tease, or like, you know, or you know, it's it's just like, it's just like, it's just it's just a conversation. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like Seth, you know, making some pun. Ugh. Then you're like. Shut the hell up, Seth. Right. It's like, just that's ride ex- over. That's exactly what it is. But just ride, ride don't over. Shut the radio off or your iPhone or whatever your listening device is. Just, just, just fast forward. You have a little button, just fifteen seconds. It won't. It only lasts that, fifteen that's seconds. That's what. Te- see, that's that's the way my band thinks of teases. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes like, hey, Seth, that was really funny. Good one. One out of a hundred. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we're like, really? Something like we're building to something. And yeah. You go up yeah. It's like we were going somewhere, and you're and to you de- go into a little fish land. You have to derail it with contact, or like. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just, it's all just kind of like, it's just based out of fun and like, it's a musical conversation. That's what I like about our band a lot. You know, it's like, they're willing to follow me or any of us are willing to follow any of us. Yeah. You listen to each other really well. Yeah. And like to a fault almost like they'll follow me down the wormhole. Like I've had moments and I've, I've tell this story a lot and I think I, you know, I think it's because it's a good indication. There's been times, I remember particular times where I play a, a wrong note in a jam. <laughs> like, and then the band, all of a sudden, like, and to me it's wrong. It's like shitty. It's a bad, bad, bad note choice. And then the whole band follows me there. And frames and a jam shifts. around it. <laughs> and I'm like, 
no, Miles no. Davis. I'm like, no, dude. Like, or to wave my hands, like, no, don't go there. That was not. That was bad. That was, was me farting. Yeah, it was like, okay, yeah. And it was like, we're going the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. But it ends way. up. But it ends up working. This is the cool part. You know, that's the happy ending. But you know, we'll be looking for that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll, you know, we follow each other musically, you know, almost to a fault. But like, you know, when you're peering. I like an improvisation to like peering over the edge of a cliff, kind of, you know, like you're going for it. And, and luckily our fans embrace that a lot. But like when you're trying to build something in the moment live that like you've never done before, you know, that's what good, that's what good improvisation is, right? You're trying to create something that has never something new. And those are the moments that will keep this fresh to you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's 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 intense, you know. It's just so so like I said, like you're looking over the edge of the cliff, and like if if you if you get it right, the view is killer over the edge of the cliff. But if you don't, you're you're falling. <laughs> it's a long tumble down, you know. Um, so it's and we're all we're all into it, and we're all excited about sort of building these things. But they don't. It doesn't always work, <laughs> you know. It's like, luckily, I think we're we're musically, um, we're, we're we're strong enough that we can sort of back our way out of, <laughs> you know, something really scary. But you know, improvisation is like real improvisation is some intense stuff. Part one of a two-part episode interviewing Anders Beck. And we hope you enjoyed the first part. And I hope you uh, we left enough tease there for you for the second part. What a wonderful guy. What a, what a easygoing, what a chill guy. He's really, a- really fun to talk to him. I guess a lot of the Green Sky guys, the fans know that already. The Camp Green Sky people. Mm, speaking of Camp Green Sky, don't forget they're having their festival called Camp Green Sky at the uh, end of May, beginning of July, June, rather. 
Yep, look it look it up on their website. Um, if any of you interested, we talk about the String Dusters a, a good bit. We have a, a an extensive interview with two of the guys from the String Dusters, episode forty eight, and also uh, Railroad Earth gets chatted about. I'm seeing them twice at the a Variety this weekend, Seth. They're episode forty one. Tim Carbone, if you want to if you want to learn more about those, each of those. Do you see Railroad Earth's coming to the Variety? Yeah, two nights with with your buddy Roosevelt Collier there. When's that again? I knew you just said it, but I'm not paying it's attention to you. Friday, Saturday, this weekend. It's a first. Oh, that's I see. We're in February. First weekend in February. No, actually March. Because February so right. Oh, right. First weekend of March. My bad. I didn't but realize Roosevelt, that who we spoke about with Michael Lee. I know. League. I know. I would love to have seen that, but I'm going to be, uh, you know, having to watch uh, my morning jacket at one big holiday oh. all the way in the Dominican. So it's really unfortunate. I've got a few friends that are going to that. I'm very jealous. As, as I said, of all those destination ones. My morning jacket, strings, and soul are real close as to which one. If I was allowed to go to one, I would pick one of those two. But you wanted to talk about string dusters. I did. You know why? Just tell us, baby. Well, I'm going to tell you. Oh. And then right. you could tell everyone else. Ready? No, 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 It's not cute. It's not funny. So for real, though, the string dusters and string dusters, green sky bluegrass, leftover salmon. A lot of these artists all are dialed in. Uh, and and come from a lot of the same blood, and I thought I just find it interesting. And I, and more and more when you when you listen to us interviewing, if you go back and listen to the String Dusters, and you listen to this Anders uh, episode, and you listen to Vince Herman and Drew, there's people's names and stories that start just appearing. And one of those stories is this is Benny Galloway, you know Burl. Right, but we're talking about him in the next episode. Oh, because Anders okay. talking about a bunch. Oh, I thought that was on this one. No, well, no, see, no. folks, it's a two-parter. Right, so the, we want to talk well, about many leading into the next part. But if I wanted to shine a light on a, on an episode of Hepling Friendly Podcast, oh, well, okay, well, folks, what Rob's about to do here is to share one of our brethren from the Osiris Podcast Network, which is OsirisPod.com. It's a growing all community of, of music and culture podcasts that we are part of. We're very proud to be a part of, and. Um, Okay, well, episode 130 of the uh, Helping Friendly Podcast, because I love this Trey tour, Seth. And they get into... <sighs> Just rub it in. They get into the they get into the whole tour and the different stories. And this was a show that was at the synagogue. Chicago. Everybody involved, because uh, no, that's in D.C. No, sh- the synagogue was in Chicago. No, it was in D.C. on Valentine's Day. And all the folks... The, the ev- synagogue was in Chicago. Everybody on the show was at the show, Seth. And they talked about it on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, sorry, but <laughs> it's the one where he did Avina Mokehu. It's sadly the one where a guy had a heart attack in the front row balcony during the encore. Uh, mixed reports. Apparently he's all right. Oh, no, it was D.C. Yeah, it was D.C. That's right. Well, my friend from Chicago went to it. I, anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, you should trust me on these things. Well, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Generally, if someone's prepared, you should go with what they say. But um, anyway, the, they also have one of the people sitting in with RJ. He's a He's kind of a local... Uh, legend in DC, I think. I don't know. He's a he's a guy who goes to a lot of shows. I forget his name, but he he has this wonderful recording from uh, from that show. Really interesting sounding room, a room that doesn't have a lot of shows apparently. So that is that makes up a big part of the uh, podcast. They have uh, a bunch of cantorials there, though. I, I hear with a. <laughs> Seth is friends with a guy named George Porter Jr. He's definitely a future guest on the show and hopefully going to be a future part of the live events. Right, Seth? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring Georgia to Georgia. Georgia to Georgia. <laughs> but last night, thanks to Nugs.net and Brad Serling and LiveDownloads.com, I was able to watch uh, this fall tour re- resumed for Dead & Company because John Mayer had a little 
little health situation, little situations. Uh, and they had to cancel, well, postpone the last three shows, and they're just resuming. They're in New Orleans, and George Porter sits in for three songs, man. Three songs. That's amazing. Um, first, Smokestack Lightning. He shared lead vocal with Bob. They were, like, throwing growls back and forth. Oh. Mare kept going over toe-to-toe with him. And, I mean, Mare was loving playing with him. Um, How did O'Teal interact with him? O'Teal, just, uh, you can see right at the end of Friend of the Devil before it. You could see O'Teal take his bass off and scurry off, and George comes out. So O'Teal sat out, and he replaced oh, really? O'Teal for three songs. Really? Yeah, it was I, really did, cool. Did O'Teal not play with him at all? Just for those three songs. No, no. I'm saying, did O'Teal play with Porter at all? No. Oh. He, he took off and let Porter play. Well, just that's like pretty when, cool. Just like when Phil would sing with the Almonds. But I do, like, I, I do like the idea of seeing those two together, but I also I think it's also a sign of respect, too. So, I and know, I just love nice. the sound, Porter's sound, his approach. I mean, it just it threw a different angle into things. They did Bertha. All three, of the, well, Smokestack, I mean, that's a Howlin' Wolf tune, and George Porter you know, knew Howlin' Wolf. So, hey, don't beat up the mic. It's Easy. And then Bertha, which I guess Seven Walkers used to play. But John Mayer sang that one. <clears throat> but God, Porter was really, if you listen to second verse, Porter's doing these just killer embellishments behind Mayer. So, so cool. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, vocals get a little lackluster toward the end of that birth and Friend of the Devil, too. That's one thing with Dead & Company. Sometimes the vocals can tail off toward the end of the song a little bit. But anyway, then Sugary, and they let Porter sing it. He sung that a bunch before. Oh, my God, dude. It's such a wonderful sugary. And it's funny because it's one song where John Mayer tends to overplay on and, like, not be weaving, like, go off into the John Mayer land. But George was leading, and it did not happen hmm. while George was leading. So it was really a, a tight but still expansive sugary, but didn't no one player stood out, you know, that we built as a, as a unit. It was so cool. And I love the way he sings. He sings like an old blues man. I love him. Speaking of blues, last night, Rob, love him. I went to Eddie's attic and saw Francine Reed. How is she doing? I haven't seen her. In- Seventy years old. She's amazing. Now, folks, she's a um, she, like I said, seventy year old uh, singer from. She was. She's played in Atlanta for years. She just moved to Phoenix and she came back for this gig here. I didn't at know she moved to Phoenix. Yeah, when did yeah, she do that? About a year ago, I'm told. Um, but yeah, so her style is. Uh, there are a couple things I want to bring out from the show. One, you know, small, intimate venue, um, and she just she wails. I mean, she reminds me of like a sober buddy, a uh, sober um, Billie Holiday. Okay, easy. And no, me being serious, she's got and her just flow is so good. But she she also her show though she does this thing where she does requests and people come and you know she's an old blues lady, so people are coming in and dropping a hundred bucks in a or ten dollars or whatever. They're giving a little tip and a piece of paper and making the request. Now her band, I mean, this is a band she hasn't played with every day, you know, for years. And it's just the throw together that she plays with when she comes to Atlanta. Uh, and they were really great, and they were able to like pick up on the on the on the songs that you know, and, and really make it work. And one of the other things I want to bring up is when she sang some of these love songs, it got me thinking. And I was thinking about how like love songs today are so different than the love songs in the past. The love songs in the past, the love songs from the blues era, the lo- those love songs, they talk about uh, relationship and love and love in a way where it, 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 it means something to your life and how you support the other person emotionally, not just physically. And there's just a lot of meat to it now oh versus oh today where it's like a love song is like, you know, all about some girl's body. Oh, your body, your body, your body. Like, 
I don't know. It made me realize. Uh, even it's gotten the, tawdry, has it, Seth? Are you saying it's gotten love songs have gotten tawdry? Yes, they have. I'm, and I'm sorry, Seth. What about uh, Wonderful World? You know, think about like Louis Armstrong, Wonderful World, and listen to the lyrics of that. Wilco writes some nice love songs. They do. I'm Jason not saying, Isbell wrote one that was really touching. Then huh. I saw at the Fox. All right. Well, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I, I feel like it's, I hear. it's just missing. a couple of things on Francine. She, if you Lyle Lovett fans may know her, she right. works a lot with Lyle Lovett. Y'all love it. And, you know, she's recorded with Delbert McClinton, Willie Nelson, and Roy Orbison. Ooh. Roy Orbison. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening. We got One pro- last thing, Rob. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Um, you know, talking, I was thinking about Georgia music then through that. And Little Richard, he's still alive, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. He is. Last I checked, he was. And, um, last I checked. That's another. Uh, we could review that phrase oh we haven't done with that in a while but last i checked uh and living in macon we should that. probably try to go ahead and make last a ride out to macon don't you think so Let's i would see. love to That'd last pretty... i checked i would love to y'all want us to hear I and mean, talk to little richard i said you all want us to talk to little richard that's right email us at inside out wtns at gmail.com and stick around because here comes episode if part we, two if we do talk to little richard we have to go in just assuming that he invented everything invented rock and roll and just kind of go with it because he does, he has concluded, even more than Chuck Berry, he believes he invented rock and roll. We're going to leave you. Ike Stubblefield invented rock and roll. <laughs> We're going to leave you this song that's called Frederico. It was the last song of the first set. And this is Drew Emmett sitting in with Green Sky Bluegrass at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs>
put your whole self entirely into it If you want to leave the ground without looking down There's a hole in your heart, it's where your dreams all start so gather up some things and fill it in Where is the peace in my heart? And who is Frederico? that I know, at least not that I recall. I was searching, sure, but not looking for, but who knows, maybe he'll show. Who is Frederico? Quien es Frederico? But the one I gotta lose myself in the street. But the one I gotta lose myself in the street. Oh, oh, lose myself in the street. Oh, That's Drew Emmett. We're Green Sky Bluegrass. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back, okay? We'll be right back. 